repent, and thou shalt be saved. Hello, welcome to the KT Presents Only Real Fans, episode two. Um, today we're discussing uh, antiquity epics. I'm Dylan Belange. I'm sitting here today with uh, Ryan Riley and Simon Keenis Kincaid. Um, this month, Ben Hurry and watch all the movies that you have to watch. That was uh, that was the title, the pun that I came up with for it. So I didn't just gonna... realize you guys are also doing a pun for every month. We tried to. What was this? There's Very no elaborate. pun for the next month, but. What's uh? What was the not to get off topic already? But what was the Spike uh, Lee one that we had? Oh, the Fourth of July. Yeah, the Fourth of July. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure there's a pun we could think of by the end of this episode for like horror. a horror Halloween, off like one of you movies, know, yeah. Ben, yeah, exactly. Ben, hurry and watch by the end of the month was this one, and then yeah, we had yeah. I don't know. Every month we like to do a little pun. And I heard I I Ben hurried and watched them in the past two days. That is so. actually unbelievable. <laughs> impressive it took me like absolutely the whole month just to get both of these movies done. yeah did you guys watch watched, them oh sorry Brian. Oh, yeah. i watched both of them within the span of a week and i watched the entire lord of the rings extended trilogy over one weekend well now you're now you're just bragging honestly <laughs> well yeah. the last episode yeah, dylan tried to call me out again for not watching them so <laughs> to all our fans out there i watched all three i did yeah wow so again. did you guys watch them in pieces i did ben-hur in pieces um i did it in two parts and i kind of screwed up and took mm-hmm. way too long in between the time so i actually when i went back to watch it again i went to the last mm-hmm. thing i remembered and rewatched a lot of it because it just took too long but then for 10 commandments i just did it in a single day because i thought okay look i gotta get it out of the way um in one piece or i like even if i'm engaged in it and i don't want to say i wasn't engaged in both of them i just know if i take the break it will take me a while to go back you know because then it feels like a chore what about you guys uh i watched ben Hur in one sitting i believe and then 10 commandments uh i was like getting late or something so i stopped with like an hour and a half to go unintentionally right before the intermission (laughs) so it worked out that's why it's there i yeah i watched ben Hur in two chunks but like one, watch the first half one day, second half the next day. So it was still pretty fresh in my mind. And then I watched Ten Commandments all the way through. But I will admit, I did uh, just like skip ahead a little bit at a time, like at a certain points. Just be like, all right, let me just go five minutes. Like, okay, I get what's going on here. Like, let me just go another five minutes, which is, which is, uh, you know, blasphemy. You could say. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we might hit you with a ruler, dude. I missed. I, I messed up and misspoke um, the last podcast because I said the original Ben Hur from 1959. It is not the original Ben Hur. It's actually a remake of a movie from I think the 20s. So we should like search that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. And same with the Ten Commandments. There was those were both made into movies in the 20s and then remade in the 50s. Ten Commandments, the original 1920s one, was also made by Cecil B. DeMille. And then 30 years later, he just remade the same movie that he had already. You're literally saying everything I want to just say. But so it kind of actually took that, took it. No, it's fine. It kind of took me away from it a little bit, though, because these movies, the reason I wanted to suggest them was if you don't watch movies like this when you're young, I think it's harder to go back and watch older pieces of art that like get lost. So I love like Wizard of Oz, but it's hard for me to watch other movies from the 30s and still really Mm -hmm. enjoy it. But I grew up watching Wizard of Oz. So I wanted to give us an opportunity to watch these movies if we had never done it before. I'm less, um, I'm less kind of, uh, the glamorization of these films has kind of like gone down for me a bit though, knowing that they're remakes because it just seems like there's remakes on remakes. So there's going to be, we had another Ben-Hur mm-hmm. a couple years ago that came out and it's just going to keep happening. So actually they were really good movies, but I don't necessarily know if they are that pivotal to watch for cinematic history or, opening up your cinematic horizons. And I feel like they are. Disagree. They're pretty well, like yeah. very easy on the eyes and very well done for being like 50s movies. Like with the exception of some special effects, there are ones that, um, I forget specifically which ones, but they looked like I could have seen it in like an 80s movie. Well, I also, I also think like the, 
the reason these versions of these movies are the most popular or the most well-known and most sort of considered a part of the cinematic canon, even though there have been a bunch of different versions, is because it was kind of right at the perfect time where, like, the technology, like you were saying, Brian, the effects, the budgets, the color, like, everything was like truly perfected by like sort of the Hollywood system at that time. And this was kind of that, that system at its apex and it's, and it's well done enough technically visually storytelling wise that you can watch them as a modern audience today. I'm sure if we tried to go back and watch like the twenties versions, we'd just be like, I can't, I can't like, I can't get into this, but like this, I, I actually was still invested in, and all that. So there's, it's, it's modern enough to still be relevant, but it's also like, these were the peak of these movies popularity. You know what I mean? Like they, I feel like they occupied in a, a place in the sort of cultural zeitgeist or whatever you want to like call it at that time in the fifties, when they came out, like they were so high grossing, they were like the Marvel movies of the day. You know what I mean? So they were the, the biblical cinematic universe. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> And that's, it's not, that's not true anymore. Like, yeah, there was a Ben-Hur a couple of years ago, but like, it didn't, it didn't have the same impact. Like nobody really cared about it. Whereas when Ben-Hur came out in 1959, it won like 12 Oscars. So this is sort of like, I feel like these movies are emblematic of that era, which is kind of why they're important. Yeah. You know, I think that's a good point. I'll, I redact my statement of saying that they're not as important because they're remakes. I do see the, the importance of things like this where their technology was advanced enough where they still look really good today. And arguably I watch them specifically like 10 commandments and still have to question how the hell they do that. Like it's so, it's so unbelievably well done for what it is that you, I have to look up like honestly the parting the water. I don't know if I could physically think up of that tech, like how to make that happen without visual effects. And yet they did it so perfectly. Um, yeah, you're right. They're like the they're like the Marvel movies or the blockbusters of that era. Um, <clears throat> I see that they're, they're almost like nowadays. There's sometimes a lack of um, depth. I would I don't want to I don't want to say cinema in things. I don't want to quote Martin Scorsese and say that Marvel's not cinema, but I want to say there's a lack of depth there. Sometimes it's a little bit more for the the easy on the eyes, public viewing, enjoying your time, like really the escapism of what cinema's trying to be. But I do see these movies being, you know, the precursors to different types of blockbusters getting nowadays, like Nolan films or like Denis Villeneuve films, where there's these like blockbusters that are coming out that have a grand scope. They're trying to make a lot of money, but they have so much depth to them. They're more than just, you know, a quick, easy watch. They have a lot of things going on and they're trying to give you a good message. I don't know. I don't know if I'm alone on there, but I do see like influences in like Nolan's work with his blockbusters to movies like these, these grand scale epics that have like, um, that have, that have more meaning than just like, you know, specifically a blockbuster. Yeah. I mean, also think about all the, you know, this, this is a time where you needed, if you, if you were doing an entire village or like kingdom, you needed like 300 extras in order to make it look like you couldn't just do like CGI and stuff like that. So like you pay you pay attention to like the little details they did to make, you know, Egypt um and you know Israel and the Roman Empire like look really real. Um you know, with with either like painted backdrops or whatnot. Like they did a really phenomenal job. Also the acting in general for both movies is yeah. very good. It's yeah, I wonder I wonder, I wonder if that's some, like, again, we, I don't want to get sidetracked on new directors stuff, but I wonder if that's why sometimes someone like, um, Nolan has an affliction to visual effects or like to, to like most of the time it's practical as much as it can be practical because there's a level of acting in these movies that I think can get lost when you're sitting in front of a lead, a lead wall or a green screen. But if you're actually on these gigantic sets with these people where it genuinely transports you to the time that you're in, you know, it might be a bit easier to ignore the camera. Yeah. I mean, just think about all the extras in Ben Hur for the, like the people in the stands for the chariot racing sequence, like they're actually just watching a chariot race. Like they just paid 
tens, like thousands of people to just come and sit in these stands and just watch them race these horses around these track and film them. So like, it was just as exciting for them. I'm, I would imagine as like a real race. So like, I think you're, I think you're right. There's something to that, the reactions and just the effect that the visuals are having on you as the audience is closer to what it would be if you were really in that place, in that time, having that experience, um, as opposed to, I, I guess, I don't know, I'm, I'm, maybe as opposed to like modern CG. So I think, I think there's definitely, and like, yeah, these movies are the sort of lineage of those people who are like, no, you do it for real. You do it practically. And it makes a difference because it like stays with the audience more and they can look at it and pay close attention to it and, and see that it is real. I think it's interesting what you said, Dylan, about like depth though, because that's something I was thinking about. I mean, obviously I think the, the depth or the message of these movies has a lot to do with like, you know, your, your religious beliefs and, and your sort of attachment to these like stories, these biblical stories and these biblical adjacent stories and like what you're getting out of them beyond just an entertaining experience is, is a, it comes from like what you're bringing into them as, as a, as a, as a person who is religious or not religious. And I think that's something um, that would be interesting to get into. This is a, this is a, but, but to me, they kind of felt like they gave you, I mean, the 10 commandments is more directly. It's straight out of the Bible. It's old Testament. It's the story of Moses. So it is like a directly biblical story, but Ben Hur to me felt like, kind of like it's kind of like the rogue one of the bible you know it's like this little like side, side story <laughs> and it gives you like it gives you all this it, it gives you everything of an action adventure movie where it's like revenge and action and this wars and the chariots and the love and all this like it, it it feels just like a blockbuster but with just like the right amount of jesus just the right amount of religious sort of packaging sprinkled onto it so you can like have your fun have your adventure and have your religion too. You know what I mean? It's kind of the perfect combination of everything. Yeah. That's really strange. Cause you know what? Like now that you say it, that it's almost like having a screen in front of my face. And now you say that I can actually see it. And I just was a little bit blind to it before. Cause what I noticed was that I couldn't get past the fact that Ben Hur and Moses start very similarly, which kind of bothered me. It was like this idea of like, they're almost in a weird way reverse, like Ben Hur, he's like from, wealth and then he goes to being poor and then he comes back to wealth and then he chariot races and then like um he's enslaved and kind of Moses same thing wealth you know to being like with his original like Hebrew family to like becoming the head of the Hebrews like the Israelites so I saw that but I kind of like your explanation of like Ben-Hur is an action adventure movie totally. it's essentially yeah, like sure. gladiator um but enough but enough Jesus sprinkled in. I wonder how much of that is at the time that they needed to do that with these kind of grandiose epics where they have some sort of biblical message behind them. You see that in like Hail Caesar from the Coen brothers where they're, oh, yeah. they're consulting the the Jews, the Christians and the Catholics about like the, uh, the movie they're making, right? Hail Caesar. So I wonder how much like Ben-Hur is an excuse where they can almost just get you all this stuff from a blockbuster, but sprinkle in the Jesus effect. Cause you could take Jesus completely out of that movie. Right. He almost has nothing to do with it. He just has a little Jesus cameos. <laughs> you never see his face. Yeah. And like the, at the end, Ben-Hur, Judah, Judah's family is saved by, by Jesus by like, they're no longer lepers. And you're like, Oh my God. But like, to me, that all felt like an afterthought. That could have all like not have as soon as he defeats his rival in the chariot races, you could have ended the movie. It had it, I don't need the whole leprosy miracle. You know, this was the this was the blind poor man that I you know or some whatever he says like I, I've met him before yeah. type thing. Uh, although I feel like because of how long these movies are, they especially with like Ben Hur, which is a novel, they just stuck really hard to the source material. I feel like, cause you can't make a movie like that long based off a story and have it like fabricated, like, uh, like throwing Jesus in just to throw him in, you know, like I feel like I, I never read Ben Hur. I probably never will, but I'm sure the, it ended with him helping Jesus <laughs> with the crucifixion, you know, carrying the cross up the stairs and like seeing him yeah. get crucified and, you know, being a believer after he helped his family and whatnot. 
Yeah, I feel like too. And then just in terms of the the movies themselves as like as like entertainment products that were so popular, I, I think the people making them knew that that was what was going to put butts in seats. You know what I mean? Like was be, beyond just the action adventure <laughs> aspect. And I love what to a see way the trailers to put that, just buddy. being like chariots, um, slavery, revenge, Jesus. Exactly. Like. We Can you imagine the, the 50s audiences <laughs> yeah. just losing their shit for that? Like, that's that's what happened. <laughs> it reminds me of, this is a weirdly deep poll, but I don't know if you guys saw the SNL sketch from a couple years ago where Tom Hanks, they do like their Black Jeopardy, like sort of running series of sketches. And then Tom Hanks is on Black Jeopardy as like a white Trump supporter. And he's like, but he starts bo- he starts bonding with like the black people on the show and being like, they start talking about Tyler Perry movies and he, and he's like, Oh my God, like I love Tyler Perry movies. And he says something like, if I can like laugh, cry and pray in an hour and a half, like that's a good movie. You know what I mean? And, and like the black contestants are like, yeah, you're right. And like that weirdly just reminded me of this. Like that's the sort of way people are going into these movies. It's like you laugh, you cry, there's highs, there's lows, there's God, like, and they, they lend themselves actually really well to being quite long, actually, because I think that I would take them less seriously the shorter they were. Like the, 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 I think part of what they're trying to get across with the movies like this is like the absolute weight behind something like the Bible, the actual stories in the Bible, if they're real, the weight behind them, right? Like, and at the time we have to assume no one thought if it was like, no, this, this happened. It's, it lends itself well to just like the massive spec spectacle of what you're seeing, which is actually probably again, that sweet spot of the fifties where the technology was just there enough to make it look really good. But they also couldn't just like, like, um, composite a bunch of people in the background. So they weren't actually there. Like this, the grand scale, it literally had to be built, which just makes you again, almost in awe, like awe of the almighty. Like when I'm watching these movies, we see these massive sets I'm genuinely jaw dropping. Like what? It's just insane to me. It's actually the perfect, perfect, um, um, method of showing the, the grandiose idea of the Bible. I think it's, it's kind of cool. It's funny you say that because after watching the 10 commandments, you know, last time I watched it was like fifth grade religion class. Um, and just seeing how well of a story it made to be on film. Like now that I, you know, follow film better and appreciate it better than like 10 year old me. It really reminded me of like, if I was watching like a film version of like Greek mythology, you know, cause you know, it's not to offend anybody out there, but it's Bible Catholicism mythology, basically like this epic story about this guy who lived like hundreds of years and helped free the Hebrews from Egypt. And it's, it's like a really it's just a really cool story. It's one where like, I've heard it so many times I've read about it so many times from like Catholic school, but watching it like that, that was like the best version of it that I've seen, read, heard, what have you. Yeah. I feel like ho- ho- golden age Hollywood and the Bible were just like a match made in heaven. Cause like they did. And I was, just, I was thinking that too, especially with the 10 commandments, how they really lean into the like, fantasticalness of the story and like the miracles and like it does it feels like yeah it, it feels like a, a superhero movie or a, fa- a fa- epic fantasy where there's just columns of fire coming down from the sky and like the waters are separating and there's lightning and like you know the voice of god like they just really <laughs> leaned in as hard as possible to the like fantastical elements of it because, because yeah, you you look at that story and the like, just the story elements, the plot, like what has is supposed to have happened, and you're like, this is just like, this is insane. This is just someone being like, all right, what's the craziest, coolest, most epic thing that could happen in this moment, and then, you know, making that happen. Repent, and thou shalt be saved. I had to do it after your your voice over there, Simon. I well, actually wanted to start. Can. You can, you can get way. a couple more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really funny. Yeah. In case anyone, in case we have to explain what we're doing. Uh, I was telling the boys a couple days ago that because of Charlton Heston's biblical tone as Moses, I couldn't get the scene of Ace Ventura 
uh, when nature calls out of my head, where Jim Carrey is going on this diatribe of like discovering the plot against stealing the bat. And at one point he mimics Charlton Heston so well that I just kept getting the Ace Ventura hair and face stuck in my head during most of the movie. It was ridiculous. I'm, I'm looking up. There was something you said, Brian, that actually like it makes me, it makes me kind of think it's a little bit of a, tra- a tragedy that 50s Hollywood, like 30, you know, 40s and 50s Hollywood was really, really like epic wise interested in biblical stories. There's a lot of just like biblical stories and the epics being somewhat of that to- sort of tone or a Roman story. But like, again, Cleopatra is a different time when like, um, again, like it, like these somewhat always to do with, I think the Bible in, in some respects or another or Christian people. And I do think it is kind of almost a shame that we like, unless I'm unaware and I'd like to hear if you guys know of not getting these Greek epics or, you know, other sorts of epics that would have been amazing during that time period. Because if they're tried to do now, we get things that are actually kind of, they, it looks cheaper, right? Like Clash of the Titans or something like that is not the same type of epic that I'd want to be seeing from these grandiose, amazing stories. And I think there, I mean, I think there are some, yeah, like I know there's like Jason and the Argonauts. I don't know if that's biblical or not. I haven't seen it. Like, I think there are some, but you're right. The, the sort of Christian, like Western Christian lens that everything was being filtered through was definitely the dominant one. Honestly, it would be really interesting to like take a class or do a month or something where you looked at like those sort of movies from all these different, from all bunch of different cultures, because I know like, you know, there's, there's really epic, like Bollywood movies that are like the sort of stories of like the foundational myths of Hinduism and stuff where it's, it's the same thing. Yeah. Never mind. You know what? I think I was, I was wrong again. I need to do more of my history, but we do have Helen of Troy and Ulysses. Hercules in New York. Before. Don Quixote. Well, that's what I was saying now. I feel like you don't see these as much told because they've been told so many times in movies. You don't see them as like a straight retelling or a remake. You do once in a while, but more often it's like, let's take these myths and these characters and put them in modern day in New York City. You know what I mean? There has to be sort of like a a twist, a thing to get people to say, oh, this is something I haven't seen before. I also feel like a lot of those there's like That's more true. recent yeah, movies, not just the like the, the more recent Clash of the Titans and like the, that Gods of Egypt movie. And uh, wasn't the there Exodus Gods? And oh my god, yeah, that was that. just so horrible. all of those like look the exact same. And I mean, I know no, there's also Gods and Hera have very similar I would vibes say those to them as well, pretty much the same. <laughs> but I think because they're like brighter and more vibrant, it's it draws you in a little more, like you're interested in like. Or, like, it holds your attention. And, like, I saw the trailers for, like, Clash of the Titans and, you know, the gods of Egypt or Exodus, whatever. And just thinking, like, wow, these look really average. And, like, dime a dozen type shit. But then the other ones that we just watched look epic as shit. Yeah, the only one Even after 10 minutes of watching it. Well, the epic... the epic, the epic disappeared for a little while after Hollywood, the golden age kind of died and think like, I remember learning in school. So I don't know if you remember, but like midnight cowboy was like probably one of the like early stages of like the dying golden mm-hmm. age of Hollywood. Cause these movies were so, they were so expensive and so risky for students. Yeah. If they didn't like Cleopatra being, a, Cleopatra being like a, a, just a flop and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think the only one that really stands out in my head that matches up to epics of this grand scale. And again, I could be wrong. Um, if anybody's, you know, anybody who thinks that I'm wrong and has any notes, please like send them to us. So I know, but it was always gladiator, like the birth of re bringing in the epic of 2000, that movie is the only one when I think, when I picture it in my head, like Ridley Scott really emulated what you see in these movies, like the, like the, the massive Coliseum and the people, like a lot of that, again, I'm, I'm assuming practical, not so much CGI used. It, it's the only one that comes close. I yeah. don't know what you guys think about that. I feel like you're right about that. Um, I guess you could also going in terms of like biblical stories, you can even say the passion of Christ or even The Last Temptation of Christ, the earlier movie. Last have you guys t- seen, um, 
Have you guys I've seen Last Temptation of Christ? Is that the Scorsese one? First time. Yeah, that's the Scorsese one. That one caused a lot of controversy. It did because it, it kind of like time. editorialized and like changed some things. Yeah. Uh, like on the from the original Gospels and like the the story of Jesus that everyone was he a mobster. Became a made man. His uh, his mom made stuffed peppers for him at three in the morning. Dude, listen, it's not that's not that far off because Harvey Keitel is in that movie, <laughs> and he has a New York accent. He plays hey, Judas, yeah, and hey, he Jesus, has a New York me, accent. Yeah, like he this. just cannot <laughs> cannot get rid of it. It's 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 really hard to not oh, be like, man. what the fuck? It's Harvey Keitel. He's got like. Curly, he's got like a curly red wig and beard, but he's just like, Jesus, <laughs> you gotta listen to me. Like, it's so funny. Well, I was actually gonna say, I feel like there's maybe more in common between 300 and a movie like Ben-Hur or The Ten Commandments and, and, and maybe that contributes to like 300 was a successful movie you know what I mean like very culturally popular people talked about it like in its sequel like in that it is just so te- like everything about it is technically and visually pushed and turned up to 11 and just made as spectacular as possible and it's like it's so heightened and it's dramatic and it's not trying to like it's not really trying to give you character, you know what I mean? And I would argue like Ben-Hur, actually Ben-Hur, I think the character journeys are pretty, are pretty satisfying and nuanced, but I feel like 10 commandments and, and like a lot of these movies, it's like, we're not going to, we're not going to waste your time with like these small intimate moments that you could see in other movies. We're just going to give you like, this guy is angry and this guy is bad and this guy's a hero. And then crazy stuff happens. And like, that sort of approach of not worrying about any nuance getting lost, I feel like yeah, kind that's of really serves good, this type a, of movie better. Yeah. That's a really good note because that's very true. There's it, there's no nuance in the character's emotions. What you see is surface level what you get, which is why it's kind of easy watching. So yeah, I can see that with something like 300 as well. I'm always thinking about how like part of what I, what I realize when you're watching older movies is obviously the fight scenes and things are usually going to be or like the epic like action moments of a movie are always lesser than the thing before, but it's always because you just got to push the envelope. You know, you're always, you're the most um, far you can go towards like the, the breaching line that you are in like the 1950s, but then the sixties has to outdo the fifties and it just keeps growing. So you can see the evolution into something like 300 where it's like, okay, now we've gotten to a point where I don't actually give a shit about the character's emotions past just what I see on the surface. And I just want to have, blood and guts and gore, which is probably what Ben-Hur's chariot scene would be if it was made today, you know, if in well, we rated R. To watch the one that was made today. Except I'm pretty sure yeah, it's like, a Disney movie, so probably doesn't have it is. gore and stuff. What It's probably like a musical But you imagine if, like, yeah. Oh. The horse you, you can, Like, I constantly think of the scene, in, the, the scene in Gladiator that fucked me up as a kid, which is when they have the chariots come out. And that person just gets sliced in half and you see the body just drop. Like that would be the Ben-Hur of today. It's like always pushing the envelope. So I, I do, I I also, I will uh, retake my statement, Simon. I agree. 300 does have a lot probably in common with something like Ben-Hur or, or Ten, Ten Commandments. More so, I think Ben-Hur. Ben-Hur mm-hmm. again being that like proto, prototype, that primordial action adventure. Man's betrayed. Man's sold into slavery. You know, it's the exact same plot yeah. as a gladiator. Yeah, like yeah, it is exactly the same plot as gladiator. Yeah, but um, I mean, I don't know. So, which one do you guys prefer? Which one was like the one that you enjoyed watching more? Like you'd watch again? I probably would not watch either of them again. I would watch scenes. Yeah, yeah. I've watched <laughs> the chariot scene of Ben Hur many times before I watch it start to finish. Um, but I think for me, I'd have to say Ten Commandments, probably because I thought going into it that it was, I was going to think this movie's like, all right, you know, just like, it's like well done, but I wasn't going to be captivated by it, but I was just very impressed by how good of a job it did telling this biblical story. And it was just epic from start to finish. And, and I also, yeah, I just remembered that one of the special effects that I was so impressed by was when he turns his staff into a snake 
Like that didn't look that was really fake cool. or cheesy at all. That looked like legit. And I was so impressed by that. So that part alone, that's number one for me. Then. I think I preferred, I think I preferred Ben-Hur just because it was, um, I guess the to Ten Commandments to me, a lot of it felt like it was just a little more clear that it was like, if it felt theatrical, like you could, you could see that like it was shot on sets that looked a little bit more fabricated. And there was like the, the drama and the acting, it felt kind of like operatic or like a stage play, uh, like a reenactment of this famous story versus Ben-Hur to me felt like more what I think of like, Oh, this is, it was, it was cinematic. I would say it, it felt to me just a little more cinematic, even though, Ten Commandments was very epic and the effects and the scale and everything was, was very grand. It felt, it felt, um, I guess a little more, yeah, just like a little more theatrically constructed to me. Um, but yeah, they were, I agree. The chariot, the chariot sequence was, was awesome. And I guess, I guess I think part of it too, for me is that I already knew the story, even though I neither never seen either of those movies, I already knew the story of Moses because it's just, you right, can't so escape famous. it. You just know it from a very young age. Regardless, it's just everywhere. And whereas I didn't actually know, it may, so maybe it's a little unfair because I didn't actually know what was going to happen in Ben. Yeah, so I was like, ooh, what's going to happen? Whereas yeah. I can kind of recognize the beats of Ten Commandments as they were happening. I got to say, I think that Yule Brenner, who plays Ramses, did a way better job playing a, a, um, across from um, Moses and uh, played by... Um, Charlton Heston. I liked their dynamic. I thought it was a really good dynamic, better than who's the guy that played the um, against Judah Ben Hur. What was the guy's name? I don't know the actor's name, but he was Masala. That guy. Masala, yeah. I liked. I thought that Ramses was a better villain. Hmm. I thought he was just a better villain. Hmm. Um, and I do actually want to kind of challenge you a little bit on your statement again, Simon, about the nuance because I agreed until I until I remembered Nefertari. The, the the wife of Ramses in Ten Commandments, she is nuanced because she loves Moses, but she eventually is the one telling Ramses to fight Moses because she doesn't want him gone. Her she has a super deep dynamic with what she's doing. Actually, she's almost it's almost like a vengeful thing because I love you too much, and if I can't have you, it, again, it's not super crazy, but for the time and the type of movie, it is more nuanced than just one emotion. Yeah, and I, I think that was I think that was another aspect of these movies, which is like they're so big and they're such a big cast. There's 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 the main character, the main hero, the main villain, and they're getting a lot of the screen time, and they don't really have a lot of that depth because it's about like the journey and the clash and the antagonism. But then the minor characters are the ones who are actually sort of getting to like develop and like be conflicted and have their stories play out in like a more nuanced way. Well, against the backdrop of just this like head to head, like good versus evil. That's like kind of the overarching. Yeah. I did like that about Ben Hur that following, um, his friend, I think, was it Esther? Was that her name? And then her dealing to help out with Ben Hur's mom and sister. I, I did like that side story a lot. It always kept like all the different plots throughout that movie were interesting. The other, you know, it's kind of sad because we haven't given a lot of time at all to like the side characters that may have more of that nuance, like Nefertari or Esther. The other guy is Quintus Arius in um, in Ben Hur, and I think I loved his I loved his character. This idea of like work hard and live, and then like he for some not even again there is nuance there because he doesn't have a good reason for unlocking Ben Hur's chain. But he does it anyways, and it's I love oh, that. Moment. Yeah. I love action. I love action when there is no plausible reason behind it. I'm like really into that. I think that's such a cool thing. Yeah, he was a good character. And then, and then his whole like Ben Hur is loyal to him, but he has to go home and, and return and, and get this vengeance. And and I, I really liked how they sort of start calling him by the other name. You know, there's like young Arius, and he. He'll respond to that, but then at a certain point, he's like, "No, that's not my name." He gives back the ring, like so. The, that, that's yeah. There's those those moments in between, like the big battles and the big action, where yeah. there is actually. And I think that was actually something that impressed me about these movies more than I expected. 
I, I sort of went into it expecting it was just going to be like Charlton Heston yelling stuff for four hours. And I was okay. like, oh man, he does, okay. But... He does a lot of yelling for sure. And a lot of like really sh- grimacing where he's like shaking his head and his eyes are really intense. He, he's, he's great for these types of roles, but there, yes. there were those like, those moments of like, there's, there's still the sort of classic moments of like a, dis- a character has to make a tough decision. And then they're like, challenged and there are these like smaller obstacles along the way um so i i enjoyed that i i do if we have a little bit of more time i do want to talk about like i don't know just other influences that these that these movies had beyond just like direct descendants like you know gladiator or something like that because i i found myself watching them and being like oh my god like where do I recognize like this shot or this scene or this sort of just like this setup this conflict and i was like oh you know, Star Wars, like obviously, oh, um, you know, or, or I was thinking about like spoofs of these movies I've seen, like, like Life of Brian, because again, for me, these movies weren't given to me directly as a kid. They weren't part of my cultural education or my film education, but I learned about them through their sort of different distillations, like Star Wars being Ben-Hur in space or Life of Brian making fun of a certain type of sword and sandals kind of movie. You know what I mean? And so you still understand. Sword and sandals. Is that yeah. a thing? I've never yeah. That's, that. that's, a, that's, that's like a name for this genre. That's like what you'll see referred to. They're like, Oh, it's a sword and sandals movie. Like that's super, that's like super that. cool. I like that a lot. That's a good one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a really, yeah, that's actually it's something that I also noticed, like the movies that I didn't even realize that I kind of would associate with these when I'm watching them specifically, like again, like the biggest one was definitely any Monty Python stuff. So much Monty Python from these epics. It wasn't even just Life of Brian. It was just everything they do coming from just a parody of these like grandiose, like, you know, scowling look of, 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 uh, Charlton Heston. It was, yeah, I totally saw that in everything we were watching. Yeah. They're basically like, they're taking like these type of movies that are so epic and take themselves so seriously and just being like, all right, let's take this, as not seriously as possible let's do all the same things the music we got to keep the music just as epic and grand and like have all the same thing but just treat it like it's a complete joke (laughs) these movies if anything actually started to make me really think of that seven basic plots uh book this idea that like it's pretty much just always going to be a variation of the same seven things or repackaged in a different way every time. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. And I do have to say, not to even get sidetracked on like the other things that it popped in my head side, but as much as these movies were kind of sometimes difficult to get through because of how long they were, I'm very happy I watched them because there's so much I can see that I that references through them in the, in the cinematic history. And also they're super fun to talk about. When we talk about how epic they are, like, as, like we're doing now, I, I do get goosebumps thinking of things of like, like you said, like young Arius, like gives me these goosebumps of storytelling. They're just such pure, perfect storytelling that it makes me really giddy as like a fan of just the idea of story, you know, just, it's such a nice feeling. The legacy, the sort of how far back that legacy goes, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. These, these movies made me more open to the idea of watching I guess similar movies, ones that are very long and very, very epic and older. Like one day I probably will go back and watch the greatest story ever told. I'll, uh, I'll just share, uh, one thought that, or one funny comment that Emily had while while I was watching Ben-Hur, she was watching it with me. And and I was, I was kind of thinking the same thing. Like I was trying to just enjoy these movies for the, for the pure, like, enjoyment and like the history and the, the sort of like legacy of, of this kind of epic like we were talking about but I, I couldn't help thinking and she said it really well. she was like this is this movie is like peak like white republican dad culture <laughs> <laughs> well yeah think epic. about the chic that dude is a white British guy very brown faced and making us think he's uh yeah there's Muslim. an arab yeah yeah there's a, there's it's, it's like it's you you can't help it. that's the only thing that maybe took me out of these movies a little was like just sort of the real the knowing that like oh this was like it's so clear this is specifically processed for like a white christian audience to be like yeah christianity but also like 
movies. white people. Yeah, movies. Yeah. And it's, it's just part of that. It's part of that whole thing. So clearly, this is like a foundational part of that. Like, what's really strange to me also is that, yeah, like, we were talking a little bit about this side, but like, the guy, Charlton Heston was such an enigma of a man being someone who was like a an activist for the civil rights movement and like really involved in it for a long time and then swapping into the Republican party like in the early 70s because his I mean I that is also very common where like people when they get older swap into being more republican because they eventually your views are not as progressive anymore every yeah. generation is the most progressive generation Absolutely. And, and it's just how it works but so he swapped in and he like like eventually became president of the NRA for like a bunch of times in the nineties. So yeah. he's such a, he's such a, I, I'm not going to go as far to say Renaissance man, but I do have to say like, he is one of the types of dudes that it's lost nowadays where he kind of just intermingled his opinions on things, you know, which is like very unheard of now. I don't know how that would be received from a pers- from an actor, you know? Well, I was going to, I was going to bring that up because it's funny. I feel like most people, it's like, oh yeah, I, wa- I, I know Charlton Heston because I watched these movies in like fourth grade or like in my Sunday school class, like growing up, that's like part of, that's your cultural education. Like my first encounter with Charlton Heston was in the Michael Moore documentary. Um, yeah. Yeah. I can't remember. Uh, Bowling for Columbine. He's um, in Where it's like, a, he's in, he, well, cause he, it, like Michael Moore tries to go and get an interview with him because he's the head of the NRA and he's like, like, you know, why are you, why are you so obsessed with guns? Like, why are you guys not like trying to like help there be less school shootings? Basically it's this very like intense, like political confrontation that they have and it and paints Charlton Heston in a very negative light. So I, I, I feel like that shows you where, what my upbringing was like, where I come from, that my like knowledge of Charlton Heston was like, Oh, that guy from the NRA. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that whack just <laughs> Yeah, but like, I, yeah, I, I, I was, I tried to again, tried to not bring too much of that in. Going to these movies, have that sort of like knowledge and awareness of where they're being made from. I, the other thing I was thinking about was like how you know the the main characters in all these movies, Charlton Heston, they're they're like they're all Jewish. They're supposed to be Jewish, but it feels like it feels like such a Christian perspective. Like, there's nothing really that is like oh in the movies to show that, Oh, these people are Jewish. They're doing Jewish things. They're saying Jewish things. Like it's very true. There's not a lot of, there's not a lot of like Jewish, Jewish practice amongst the Jews. And it's more about, it's always around the time of like, or at least feel uh, weird because Moses and everything that she's placed well before him, but it, it, they always, it's shined in light as if they are the ancestors of Christians, not so much Jews. Right. Which is very strange. That's because they but originate you- from a Christian or, or Catholic uh, state True. of mind. You know, they're, they're well, based what, on those religions rather than the Jewish religion. Well, this is really also, and I don't, I do, we're talking about so many interesting things and then just moving on. Like, it's really quick on the Charlton Heston note. All I want to say was every time I thought about that with the NRA, I would just go back to him being a leading figure in civil rights movement and then just think, he's a complicated man. People are complicated. Hey, never forget, he person. voiced a dog in Cats and Dogs. Did he? He did. Yeah. Horrible movie. <laughs> Great performance. Horrible movie. I think, um, but going off your point, Sai, like it's told in a Christian perspective. It was really interesting because when I was watching Ten Commandments, I was reading up about Moses in the Quran because Moses is one of the five prophets that is representative of the, pillar, the pillars of um, Islam. Mm-hmm. And I want to, I honestly want to read the segments of the Quran uh, with Moses in there and see how they portray Moses there. Because again, it's strange to me that probably it wouldn't be painted in a, in a, in, in a Jewish light to, to say the least. It would almost be in a precursor sense of like towards Islam. Mm-hmm. And that's very much how the Bible's written too, is like, yeah, they have the Torah, but it's kind of, it, it feels like they're writing it as the ancestors of Christians, not just Jews. I'm sure it's, it's differently told in the Torah. Right. So, and there's even more complicating. I was just thinking about this. It's even more complicated when you come to these specific movies, because these specific movies were made from like a Christian perspective or a Christian culture for that mostly Christian audience, but they were made by a bunch of Jewish guys, like, like Cecil B. DeMille and like all the like, sort of big studio people in Hollywood at that time were like 
by and large Jewish, which is so it's just even more interesting. It's weird. That, like I, we're gonna, they're, yeah. they're making these stories with Jewish characters, but they're sort of uh, aimed at a Christian, Christian. worldview. Like it's, well, it's it's a very it's a they very definitely knew it was just gonna rack in money. I guess well, I think also at they the did time, it right. I think also at the time, look, the U.S. is a very Christian land. Like the majority of the people there at the time were Christian, and it was definitely. It, I, I bet you what the Coen brothers reference in Hail Caesar, where they sat down with like the group, the heads of like the different parishes is probably very accurate, but the idea of equity wasn't as developed in 1950 as it is nowadays. So there, there, the idea of we need to play this to a larger audience for more money is still a thing, right? Like where the majority of people they're attending is probably Christian, not Jewish. So instead of giving that equal which it's crazy. It's not as, it wasn't as nuanced back then, but it was the fifties, right? Like they can easily, you can easily nuance that by incorporating people of different races and beliefs in movies nowadays. Like again, like a massive one being like Black Panther, which like just freaking makes so much money at the box office and shows, it just shows that like movie starring minorities is not actually going to lose you money, which is like a weird thing that people thought for a long time. But at the time, they were probably were just less concerned with equity, right? It's just less like uh, the idea of equal representation in, in films or accurate representation, just changing the Christian idea. Yeah. And, and honestly, in terms of like how poorly or well the mo- these, I felt like these movies aged in terms of like their, their, yeah, like I guess you could say the politics or the racial, pol- like religious sort of perspective it, it, i honestly expected it to be worse like it, it yeah it didn't feel worse than any other hollywood movie at, of that time basically where it's like the main thing is like they're gonna just cast like white european looking actors in every role and make it very eurocentric in that way but like i mean it's it's a little silly but it's like i it, there was i didn't feel like there was any sort of anti-semitic ideas or like it, no. it was pretty much just like a straightforward a straightforward retelling of this story you know what i mean like i was i've i've, I've, I've seen movies from hollywood from around that time that are like definitely pretty much bad. more cringy when watched today you know what i mean yeah. these are both I, honestly, stories that just had relig- a certain religions um like ideas in it or like um yeah aspects but through and through just just your average story the the weird thing is also like i mean they're they're portraying like christian stories with white people but at the time like obviously it's disputed now but at the time and also even i guess a little now is like christianity is posed as like like mostly white people which is definitely not how it was because of the geographic location but it just is what it is right so if it's been portrayed for thousands of years as white faces being jesus and and moses then that's what they're gonna do in the 50s you know but i agree with you the weird thing to me was like it's i didn't necessarily feel an overt feeling of anti-semitism or racism it was just more of a whitewashed film right the only place i the only place i had that was like obviously the blackface and ben-hur i had it less so in the in the ten commandments though from 56 because when you read up about blackface and like this idea of whitewashing in old films, I honestly expect that there's literally no one else but white people in the movie. And that's not true. Like when you watch like the 10 commandments, there's like the whole idea of like the Ethiopians, they're literally, they are played by black people. It's not like a bunch of dudes that are all like in blackface. Right. Right. So right. Right. I was almost, I was almost more surprised. I'm not going to at all pretend that that's like the bare minimum that we need to do in films, but I was more surprised for a movie that's like near like you know 60 years old or over 60 years old still doing that because like i guess you forget in history um when that kind of shift started and i think you know i i think it's still in the 50s and 60s but i was actually surprised Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i feel like that actually was happening earlier than we maybe give credit for except for like the lead roles like i think my perception was like oh yeah we got to because these movies, they wanted it to make it as realistic and immersive as an experience as possible for the people watching it. So it's like, okay, we need to have all these different races, all these different colors, all these different groups. Like, it's got to feel authentic, except obviously the leads have to be white. You know what I mean? Like, that yeah, was just like unspoken, like understood, like there was no other way to do it.
I gotta say, I really, I enjoyed talking about these movies much more than um, I expected after watching them. Because, like, they are long and they're slow, and you think, oh, okay, look how much can you say. But talking about them was really fun. Yeah. I agree. It's really nice to yeah. dissect these. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, Brian, to close off, uh, do you want to introduce the next uh, topic for this month? Yes. So, for October, we will be doing a spooktacular extravaganza, pun pending. But I was originally going to do a well, South Korean. That's a pun already. No, that's true. But but yes, movie specific. Spooktober. <laughs> um, I was originally going to do a South Korean film theme for my next one, but it just so happened my month was going to be October. So I kind of did a hybrid. So we're going to be watching Train to Busan, South Korean horror zombie flick. Mm. Uh, the host, uh, Bong Joon-ho. Uh, Bong Joon-ho. Oh, Jesus Christ. My bad. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> why. I can't yeah, we'll edit that. <laughs> what is the host good. by him? Um, mm-hmm. and it's, it's so dope, though. In Like the Koreans, they call everyone... Everyone calls him Director Bong. Like when you hear people talk about him, like that's his title. Like it's such, it's so swag. All right, Director like, Bong's the host. <laughs> such a such a such a boss ass way to seriously. Like, yeah. Uh, all right, so those are the two South Korean flicks we'll be watching, and then also Overlord, a 2018 kind of horror war hybrid movie. Pretty cool, and uh, an 80s. Horror comedy, Fright Night. Classic movie. Classic movie. Yeah, and apparently I've Dylan's already, seen I've already, one of these, so that's a win in my book. I've begun um, already watching them, too. I actually, I have seen Fright Night, the remake with uh, Colin Farrell, and I do want to say, Colin Farrell and one of my favorites, Gone Too Soon, Anton Yelchin. Um, after he passed away, I watched all of his films, and I have to say Fright Night is one of the better remakes. If you get a chance this month, guys, and you have time and you want to, I really recommend watching it. It's Colin Farrell, um, um, Anton Yelchin, and then the woman from Hereditary, whose name always escapes me. Tony Collette. Tony Collette, yeah. It's a really good movie. So if as an extra, I would recommend it. Nice. Yeah, will do. All right. Sweet. I've seen, I've seen The Host, but I haven't seen any of these other movies, and I've wanted to. So. All right. Nice. Then we will come back in one month. Yep. Thank you all for tuning in. Thanks for listening, guys. See you in a month.